Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm really excited today to be joined by a friend of the show, a friend of mine, one of our few repeat guests. This is a person that is a veteran of the industry, if I can say that. Um, I'm incredibly impressed with you, Carl, because of how consistent you've been over such a long period of time pumping high value content into this industry. You've written three books. The most recent one we're going to talk about today, which is Work Less, Earn More. Your blog is just a goldmine. It's a resource that I used when I first got into this industry. You've been consulting in this industry and coaching agencies for a really long time. So it's just a pleasure to have you here. Really excited. Carl Sakis, thank you for joining us on the show. Marcel, great to be back. Um, I'm excited because you have published a new a uh, piece of work, a new book that uh, has recently become available in audio format. Um, so yeah. we're going to dig into the the core of what that book is about, which is really centered around leadership. Before we get into that, I want to give you a chance to, in your own words, describe who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Hi, I'm Carl Sakis. My team and I help agency owners find ways to work less and earn more, while also creating growth opportunities for their team members to help them step up as the owner chooses to shift what they are doing. I come from an agency operations background and I'm based in the US, but have worked with clients at this point on every inhabited continent. On every inhabited continent. Yes. Impressive. (laughs) So Carl, you've been in the game for a long time. You've coached and advised a lot of agencies in both um, kind of an advisory role one-on-one. You do group stuff. You have workshops, some of which are coming up. Um, So you've seen a lot. What was the motivation for you to write this third book of yours? Why did you believe that it was an important time to get this kind of thought or get your thoughts on this matter published in this format? Running agencies, I mean, it's a tough business. You're doing work for clients that don't always have a clear view on Is the work good enough? Is it even done? And you have the complexity, of course, around working with humans all around you, and humans are complicated. Your team members, your clients, your partners, and so on. And in my work from over a decade as an advisor, and of course, working in agency operations before that, you know, I saw some things that people were doing that didn't always make sense. And I've noticed things that kind of make things easier. Um, you know, my view is that running an agency will never be easy, but it doesn't have to be so hard. And I distilled all of that advice into the book that became Work Less, Earn More, How to Escape the Daily Grind of Agency Ownership, available on Amazon Worldwide, and, and as you mentioned, just came out on Audible. So if you, for people, if you don't like reading, but you like listening, got, got you covered. So, of course, we're going to have links to the book, the audio book, uh, all of Carl's information in the show notes. Um, so f- definitely go down, scroll, grab a copy of that, uh, get it on your phone or get it on your Kindle or whatever it is that you use to consume that kind of media. Um, so, yeah, it'll all be right there. Now, 
I want to talk a little bit about, because we have a rare opportunity here. You've seen this industry evolve over a very long yes. time horizon. And I think we would both agree that it has changed a lot. Uh, as mm -hmm. agencies tend to have to do, they tend to have to be on the cutting edge of what's going on in the market and in the industry. How has agency changed in relation to leadership? How do we have to show up differently today than maybe we would have a decade ago running a firm? Um, talk about those challenges that have emerged with, with the shift of the industry. As an agency owner, you know, you're under more pressure than ever before. Clients wanting more for less, uh, the challenges around shifting your team to be, for most agencies, increasingly remote. How do you find the best people, but also how do you manage them? And how do you make sure that you're clear on what you expect and, and all that? You know, it's, it's a lot easier to manage people in person. If you're in one room and you can yell across the room about what needs to happen, I don't recommend yelling, but you know, it, it's easier. Managing remotely is, is harder. And so, you know, if for agency owners who don't love managing people, now is going to be harder than ever before, because if you are an agency owner at an independent agency where you're owner and operator, you are a manager and managing people is tough. You know, I, I've invested in my own leadership development, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars and thousands of hours. It's a never ending process. And, and, and I enjoy that. But you know, a lot of people don't. And so the book, Work Lesser and More, you know, it's about improving your work-life balance and your compensation as an agency owner. There's a lot on leadership because if, if you can't get your team's help, you're going to be doing it all yourself. Yeah. I have this, uh, this perspective on this as well, which is that I think it was Carl uh, Smith from the Bureau of Digital. I heard him say this mm -hmm. once that agencies are talent producers, not talent consumers. And it was a remark mm -hmm. on how historically, you know, agencies don't have the, the the capital efficiency in their business because of their business model, because of the the margin uh, pressure that you mentioned. We generally can't go out and compete and pay for top dollar the way a tech company, for example, could, where they can go out and hire an engineer for $300,000 that's already mm. incredibly skilled and incredibly experienced. We often have to be really good at finding emerging talent, getting them into the business, developing them, supporting them. And so leadership in, in many ways, I think, is part of this business model. And the more there's pressure on margin, the more the labor market becomes uh, challenging. When, and I would say that right now, um, you know, talented people that have technical skills are have more leverage now than they, they have in a long time in this industry. All of these things, I think, become much more, more important. So it's timely that we're talking about this today. Yeah. And Carl Smith, as it happened, wrote the forward to work lesser and more. So uh, good, good, good callback. <laughs> Shout out to Carl Smith at the Bureau of Digital, yes. um, which if you don't know about the Bureau of Digital, you should uh, go check it out. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. So with all of that, talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the, the challenges that an agency owner faces that might indicate to them they need to perk their ears up and really dive into this content. It helps to think about what your day-to-day -day life is like. And I've identified four stages of day-to-day -day involvement. If you're imagining, you know, a visual, it would be like a fuel gauge on your car, uh, you know, going from empty to, to full. And, you know, as you go, stage one, you are mandatory day-to-day. -day. That might feel like you can't take a break for lunch without something going wrong. You know, stage one is really painful. Stage two, at this point, you are now necessary. It's better than mandatory, 
But, you know, if you're, say, away from work for a day or so, uh, maybe your team's getting stuff done, but maybe they're making mistakes that you're going to have to fix kind of thing. Still not, not ideal. Better to get, if you can, to stage three, where you are needed, but not necessary. And that's just that. You can go on vacation for a week or two. Things are generally fine. You're not going to stop working altogether, but things are generally running smoothly because you're, you have the right people in place. They have the right structure. They understand the values, goals, and resources to follow and things like that along the way. And if you want, and some people are happy to stay in stage three where they are needed but not necessary. However, if you want, you can choose pursuing stage four. That would be the you know full on the, the gas gauge, the fuel gauge. And stage four is your optional. And just that, you're optional. This is especially helpful if you're looking to do an exit where you want to sell the business. The more optional you are, likely the better deal you'll negotiate for the sale. But optional helps if you lean toward running a lifestyle agency as well, because now you're optional and you're doing the things that you want to do, not the things you have to do. And you can't be in more than one of those at once. You know, you might be, for instance, mandatory as the sales closer, but optional for doing the initial screening of inquiries and things like that. So I would start by understanding where are you on that continuum now? And then you can sort out based on that what to do next. So I want to uh, qualify all of this. The objections that I tend to get when we talk about these kinds of ideas are that, yeah. you know, we're not big enough to make that progression. That sounds like it involves spending money on people, uh, leadership people, and, you know, we're just not big enough to uh, be able to afford that kind of freedom for me as a founder. And the other objection I often get is, well, the stuff that we do is just too complex, right? We're not a productized service business, or we're not doing stuff that's cookie cutter. And so I couldn't possibly, you know, create that kind of freedom for myself or that kind of accountability for my team, because, uh, you know, I'm the only person that's capable of doing this work. How do you respond to those kinds of uh, mindset blocks around achieving these kinds of outcomes in the agency? to the objection about like, oh, I'm going to have to pay money for this. Well, running a business isn't free. Like, like this isn't magic. You know, the laws of business physics don't don't work that way uh, kind of thing. Um, it does help to think about, I, I've identified six agency roles. You're not going to get all of them off your plate right away, but some of them you could do sooner, uh, especially too, you mentioned, you know, say if the agency is smaller, Usually, well, here are the six roles, and then we can take a look at which order to consider delegating them in. So the, the six agency roles are AM, keep the clients happy, sell them more work, account management, project management, get the work done smoothly and profitably, PM. You've got your subject matter experts, your SMEs, depending on your agency services, those will be your designers, your developers, writers, analysts, and so on. There's also the client strategist role, which is sort of a super subject matter expert, which a bit of with a bit of account management mixed in. And your client strategist job is to focus on maximizing the ROI of the client's budget. They've got ten thousand a month. Great. What can you do with that? They've got a hundred thousand a month. Okay. What can you do with that? That's the client strategist. And then the other two roles are biz dev, which includes marketing, sales, and partnerships and support, which includes operations and leadership. Now, for most agencies, you're certainly not going to delegate the leadership part, or at least not completely, and you're probably still going to be the client strategist for a while. 
But that doesn't mean you need to be, for instance, the subject matter expert doing the design, doing the development, doing the analysis, or at least not all of it yourself. So that's the first thing I see agency owners typically delegate. And that could be the first person you hire or the second person you hire. And SMEs often are freelancers. Um, and you know th those are skill sets that where you can find freelancers. The next thing that I'll see people delegate is project management, the PM role, whether that's hiring a freelance project manager or hiring a full-time PM. If for instance, your business model involves having lots of freelancers, having a project manager to coordinate everything that's going on is a key need. And likely if you have the one PM, they're gonna be serving as, a, as an account manager as well. Uh, but you, know, you might continue doing account management for a bit, but you can delegate that too. So that the team brings you in as the strategist, but you are not the day-to-day -day account management contact. Same thing within BizDev, for instance, you might not be the initial sales screener, but you're still doing the higher level sales conversation. I'll hear agency owners say, ah, you know, I'm spending time, just wasting time with people that aren't a match. Well, don't get on the phone or on Zoom with them. You know, they need to share some information first, whether you or your team do some initial vetting before you spend your time. So that's something to consider, kind of an order. Get offload SME work first, then project management, then account management. And then at that point, you'll need to decide what to do next. But you can get started with the team you got. And you raise a good point, right? Which is that so much of that stuff can be done fractionally. You don't need scale. Yeah. You can do this on a project by project basis. And if you can't afford to do it on a project by project basis, there's a more fundamental issue there, which has to do with the gross margin of your work. So that's a whole other episode. Uh, oh. But let's assume that that's not well, a problem. Well, the right? agency profitability podcast. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. So we've got lots of other resources on that. But focusing more on, I think, the, the more nuanced part of this, which is the people. Often mm -hmm. what I find is those objections are actually just... A surface level kind of objection. But the real fear that I find a lot of agency owners have is that they're not confident in their ability to be strong leaders, or they're afraid of growing mm -hmm. their team because they know that it's going to have to change how their time is spent, how their focus is spent, and they're going to have yeah. to address some of their own leadership issues. So let's talk about that. What kind of challenges do you see uh, agency founders and executives face as their team starts to grow that holds them back from really having the right leadership to create those outcomes that we talked about earlier? As you grow your agency and you bring in more people to support you, whether you're growing from one or two people to five people, or if you're growing to 50 people or 100 people or more, people tend to specialize more. So back at the beginning, everyone was a generalist. You know, I mentioned the six agency roles. You were probably doing all six of them yourself, you know, and then maybe you're doing four and three and two and, and so on. Um, but that can be an identity change. You know, maybe you're an amazing designer or an amazing strategist or amazing developer. There's a lot of demand for your work. Eventually you start an agency, but now you're no longer spending all of your time on design or development or strategy or what have you. Um, you know, if you're working as an employee somewhere else, you had someone else handling all of the other stuff, but now you've got business development, now you've got account management, and so on, and it's an identity shift. You've gone from being, you know, if we think of the uh, the myth model, you've gone from technician to manager, and ideally also to entrepreneur. And you know, for anyone listening to this, and you're like, ah, I just want to spend 100% of my time on my craft. 
that's okay. You probably won't be able to do that as an agency owner. And you should consider, would you be happier as an employee at an agency or in-house where you can practice your craft all day long? Yeah, it's such an interesting observation. I remember hearing this uh, analogy about the executive that comes home from work and organizes his sock drawer so he can feel like he got something done that day. And it really is kind of testament to this dynamic, right? Where as the as the team gets bigger, tactical execution is often a function of a weakness in your leadership style. If you have to be the one pushing things forward, often it's because you're not being effective at working through other people. Um, but it, it is a total shift. And for a lot of people, to your point, they might not actually be happy at all with spending their time that way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's something that's important to acknowledge. Now, assuming that somebody is willing to make that transition and they want to become you know, a leader and grow their team and have more people underneath them, what are some of those keys to executing on that well? And I think you present a really nice framework uh, in the book in particular around these kind of three pillars of, of a really high-functioning leadership organization within an agency. Yes. So if you're primarily in stage one, mandatory, and you want to get to necessary, a lot of that is about defining swim lanes. Who's in charge of what? What is someone's area versus not? And if a decision needs to happen and it's in someone else's swim lane, leave them alone. Like, let them make the decision. You could ask some questions, but you need to respect them and vice versa. Uh, some of this came up uh, a number of years ago. I was speaking at the Soda Academy, uh, the Society of Digital Agencies, and I was leading a session on leadership and management. And one of the agency owners in the audience said, you know, I really like being the answer person, you know, being the one with all the answers. And someone else chimed in and said, if you need to be the answer person, fine, but your agency is not going to grow beyond 10 people. And whether that's the exact cutoff or not, you know, kind of depends on a number of circumstances. But, you know, define swim lanes. There are things that you are no longer in charge of, or maybe you're overseeing them, but you're not managing them day to day. So that's going from stage one to stage two, from mandatory to necessary, define swim lanes. If you want to get from going from to make yourself needed, but not necessary from two to three, a lot of this is defining what I would call your VGR, your values, goals, and resources. The idea is that when people understand those, they can make decisions without asking you every single time. Values are how you choose to operate. Goals are around where you're going. And resources would be about time, money, people, software, so on, to support making it happen. For instance, I had a client at this point almost a decade ago who said people were interrupting him all day long. Uh, on his team. And I asked him to track for a week, what was the nature of the interruptions? You know, who was interrupting? Uh, was it maybe the interruption was good, the timing was bad, or they should have known themselves or this or that. And what I found was that it was actually his own fault. He had trained his team to ask him because he would regularly undercut whatever decisions they made and then they'd have to go back to the client and say, I know I said we do this, but we can't, this and that. Um, part of my advice to him was defining swim lanes and then getting clear on values, goals, and resources. Importantly, so that if the team made a decision and they followed the correct values, goals, and resources, he would back them up on the decision, even if he disagreed with it. He could say he could ask them to do things differently in the future, but he would not make them 
blow up what they had already decided if they followed the VGR. And then finally, if you want to go from stage three, where you're needed, to stage four, you are optional, that's really about hiring and coaching the right people. In my work as an executive coach to agencies, a lot of that involves succession planning, where the owner or owners have a key employee that they want to move up to take on more and more responsibilities, but they need support. You know, it's not just going to magically happen overnight. And so we'll generally build a succession plan and a ramp up plan so that, for instance, maybe someone goes from being a director, they're in a VP role for a year or two, and then maybe they're in, say, a COO role for a year or two, maybe they go to president, and eventually, if that's a match for the agency's goals, move to CEO. But it's not an overnight thing. It doesn't just instantly, they, they can't teleport to becoming CEO overnight. Okay, so we have swim lanes as kind of the foundation, clarifying what is the scope of each person's roles and set of responsibilities. And uh, then we have VGRs, uh, which is visions, vision, goals, and resources. And then we follow that up with hiring and coaching to kind of help people progress around their career track. So I want to dig into each of those. I think that's a great framework for kind of the ascension through those ranks. Let's start with swim lanes. Um, so what are the kind of keys to clarifying those swim lanes? Because I can imagine that it can be difficult sometimes to actually find where the edges are and how much gray area is acceptable at the early stages of a business where you know, it might be difficult to uh, not only define somebody's role, but also to define it for any extended period of time where it's, it's very likely that these things are going to be fluid as the agency changes, as the team, you know, shifts around. How do you think about the evolution of, of swim lanes and the level of fidelity that those need to get defined at over time? As a starting point, you could think about the six agency roles. For instance, maybe someone is the account manager on a certain set of accounts but they are not the subject matter expert. They have other people they delegate to. So maybe, you know, they used to be a designer, but they're moving toward more of an account manager role. They are not doing the design on that account. That's a, that's a for instance. So you can think about the six roles, AMPM, SME, on strategist, biz dev, and support. You could also take a look at where there tends to be internal friction. Friction is not a bad thing by itself. It's how do you deal with it? For instance, ideally, if you have separate people in the AM and PM roles, the AM is probably going to want to, you know, give away free work to keep the client happy. The PM is going to be like, no, nothing free ever. And the thing is, they, they're both sort of right and both sort of wrong. And the ideal is that you have a healthy tension between the two where the PM's like, no, no, no. And the AM's like, well, remember, we made that mistake last week. Why don't we give them something special this time? We'll call it out as strategically free. Great. And maybe if the AM's giving away free work, the PM's like, we're already at risk of going over budget. Maybe not this time. And you can blame me as the PM. So the AM's like, I tried, I tried. The PM wouldn't let me. Great. Everyone's happy and the agency's you know, staying profitable uh, kind of thing. So look, where, look for where that friction happens. Uh, and decide. And sometimes you need someone as the arbitrator or decision maker. This tends to be more of an issue as agencies grow and you've got different team members that are getting pulled between multiple projects or retainers at once. So, you know, one account manager or project manager is like, I need so-and-so next week. 
uh, or hopefully you're planning ahead further than that. Uh, and another team member is like, no, I need them. Someone has to make a resourcing decision about which where the SME goes. Uh, you, otherwise, you risk having the loudest voice win, and that's not necessarily the best for your business. So swim lanes, you know, consider the six roles, look for areas of friction. Uh, and I would also take a look. Ideally, you're doing debriefs after every client engagement and, and even potentially after key meetings, things like that. What are the recurring problems? That's probably something that needs some swim lanes. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, I, I love that, uh, that insight of understanding where there's strategic friction, or I wouldn't even say friction, but tension between roles, um, because yeah. that healthy tension is so important, right? Where you're going to have personality types that are extreme in both areas, but mm -hmm. what that creates is this kind of median outcome that is usually pretty ideal in terms of being balanced for risk adverse, being risk adverse versus being, you know, kind of client forward. And then also this idea of, it sounds like these swim lanes are a process, not an event. They're going to be iterated Correct. on, they're going to evolve. Yes. And they sound like they could make a really useful tool for actually facilitating a conversation around something that didn't go well, where it's something that we can all sit on the same side of the table and look at and say, here's a thing that happened. It seems like it kind of was falling in between these two swim lanes. Let's work together mm -hmm. to figure out where that should fall, how we would handle this differently next time. And it takes some of the adversarial nature that that conversation can sometimes take on and shifts it into kind of a collaborative exercise to continually refine the swim lane. So those are some really uh, nice insights around swim lanes. Anything else you would add uh, around swim lanes before we move on to VGRs? I think you, you've alluded to a key point in the, the tension relationship. It's important that people in your team respect each other. They don't always have to agree, but they need to know, you know, the account manager is in charge of the, of the client relationship. The project manager is in charge of getting the work done smoothly and profitably. And, um, you know, thinking as uh, I, I was in a PM role, but also was serving as an account manager, and, you know, I lean more toward the operations side. If I had a really sticky client situation, I would talk to our salesperson at the agency and say, hey, I'm thinking of this. Does that seem, you know, the right approach? And he'd often have some suggestions because he was more relationship oriented. And then I would help him where if it was more about details and planning and things like that. So, like, we appreciated and respected each other. Yeah, it's a good insight. And that I think is a really important thing that you touched on earlier, but is worth repeating, which is when you give somebody a swim lane, you've got to let them make decisions and own that. And I've personally experienced on both sides of 
getting out over your skis a little bit as a manager, you know, stepping in, correcting some decisions, over coaching, and it leads to exactly what you talked about earlier. Now that person is paralyzed. They don't want to make any decisions until they run them by you. And it's kind of defeating the purpose of creating that framework for accountability in the first place. So I think a really important note to kind of insulate those people and let them be autonomous within the swim lane. And then I, I, assume we're going to talk about this in coaching, but find a more productive way to guide execution over time. For, for sure. I mean, your, your employees and, and other team members aren't your children, but you know, there's a reason that helicopter parenting or bulldozer parenting or whatever metaphor parenting, you know, is recognized as not the best way to do it. Same thing with your management style. So that I think segues really nicely into VGRs, right? Which is, it sounds like a really um, nice framework for setting those guiding principles that enable yeah. somebody to make autonomous decisions that are going to be mm -hmm. directionally accurate based on where the company wants to go and understand what the yeah. constraints are that they can operate in before having to go to you or another manager in the company. So um, yeah, what are the best practices around establishing really good VGRs or values, goals, and results? Did I get that right? Uh, values, goals, and resources. Although, although results are, are important. Uh, you don't want to get clear in that. So consider the idea of VGR, values, goals, and resources, as a framework to organize what people need to know to be more independent in decision-making. That can happen at the agency level. It could also happen at a client level. Knowing the client's values, goals, and resources is important. Uh, so, you know, best practices on that. First, recognizing you need it uh, and then taking time to clarify what are your values, what is important, what's not. For instance, within Seikis and Company, one of our key values is around warmth and competence. It's a concept from the book, The Human Brand by Chris Malone and Susan Fisk. The idea is that whenever you're interacting with a company or a person, you're thinking about the level of warmth and the level of competence. Competence is, did you get the job done? You know, high, medium, low competence. And warmth is, did you make the other person feel special? High, medium, or low on warmth. And ideally, you're high on both. And so internally, when we're making decisions, we can see, is this a high warmth, high competence situation? And if it's not, is there a counterbalancing reason to justify that? Um, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions because you're not having to decide in a vacuum. For instance, um, you know, if an agency came to me that focused on tobacco marketing uh, or, you know, nicotine product marketing, I, you know, I, not, not something that, that I, I would want to work on. Uh, the same thing, if you have, from a sales screening perspective for the agency, if there's certain industries you don't work with, well, fast fail it. Like, don't waste time considering the opportunity for an industry that your team is going to be like, why did we say yes? You know, uh, kind of kind of thing. So getting clear on values. Um, I was having a conversation recently where someone mentioned something about, like, go out and scrape a bunch of email addresses and send them to, you know, send them a, a message. And I'm like, my approach is opt-in only. You know, I would rather have a smaller opt-in only list. You know, my approach is opt-in only than, you know, a huge list of people that we've forcibly added without their, without their permission kind of thing. So like, that's a value thing. Um, I fired a client several years ago after learning that the owner had over-promised in the sales process 
And the only way for them to get the results they had promised the client was to order the employees of the agency to write fake reviews for the client, like fake customer reviews. And when one employee was like, I don't feel comfortable doing this, the owner then publicly reprimanded the employee. So I heard about this, I raised my concerns and his comment was like, well, I don't know, everyone does this. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's, it's something you should do. And, and it's not everyone, but even if it were, uh, and I'm like, you know, what kind of message does this send to your other employees if they raise ethical concerns and you, you know, tell them they, they should stop and not, not talk about it. Uh, and he's like, well, he still works here. So ultimately I gave him an ultimatum and his response was, well, I can't promise I'll never do it again. That was our last month working together. So, you know, understanding from a values perspective on how you want people to operate, they won't have to keep asking you every time. The same thing is true about goals. You know, what are we trying to accomplish? Uh, and that often includes clarity about what success looks like. And, and that can apply at a strategic level and even at a task level. For instance, if you're assigning something to someone on your team, you might say something like, uh, you know, here are the details, here's what success looks like. Please complete it either by Thursday or since I'm out on Friday, by Monday, right? You're not pushing them to get it done on a day that you're out. Either you'll look at it before you're away or you're after kind of thing. Or if it's a situation where it's, maybe it's more urgent, you might say the client is having an internal meeting on Wednesday I must have it by Tuesday morning or else I won't have time to review it. Can you meet that timeline? Like that's getting clear about the goals, but also in a very granular smart goal kind of way. Uh, and then if we're looking at resources, that typically is budget, client budget, uh, could be internal budget as well, could be about the time people have available. For instance, I assigned one of my designers at an, when I was at, agency as a director of client services, uh, he had a 10 hour budget to create some logo concepts. And I included that in the assignment and he came back and there were a lot of logo concepts, a lot more than I expected. And I saw that he had logged 20 hours on the 10 hour task. And I was like, what, what happened? He was like, wow, I wanted it to look good. And I realized he was trying to create a portfolio piece. And so he was over investing time. And I said, well, the problem is the client is only budgeted for 10. Uh, but my solution was I was able to save the client. We had some extra time. This is more than we typically would do at this stage, but you know, you got the, the benefit. And then I said to the team member, if you want to do it again in the future, I need to know ahead of time so I can manage the client's expectations. And you'll need to do the extra overage on your own time because the client is only budgeting for this from an agency perspective. And, and of course, if the budget, I mean, this was our standard budget for that, for that particular step. I said, if it's a situation where we're doing custom stuff and it's just not enough time, let me know in advance and, and we can sort that out then, but need to know ahead of time. Um, it could also be about software or about, you know, what assets do you have available? Um, you know, if the client has a style guide and you've just assigned a new person to work with them, where is the style guide? They're not going to magically know keep going back to magical thinking and how that doesn't work. Uh, so yeah, that's the values, goals, resources. It can apply at the agency level and it can also apply at a client level too. 
Awesome. And uh, again, one of those things that sounds like it's a process, not an event. Yeah. And uh, and this dovetails perfectly into, of course, coaching, uh, because both swim lanes and these VGRs sound like great tools to then tie back to coaching. And the anecdote yeah. that I want to tee this up with is uh -huh. I remember talking to a friend of mine that had grown uh, his company to about a team of 60 people. The company mm -hmm. was doing fantastic from a growth perspective, but he was really struggling as a leader and was in this kind of transitional period. And I remember having a conversation with him about some of the communication challenges that he was having. And I said something to him to the effect of, you know, the bigger the company gets, the more you have to repeat the same things over and over and over again, because the information yeah. saturation, right? You have to work through these layers and layers of management and the things you say get smaller, the number of different things you're talking about each quarter gets smaller, and the number of times you repeat them gets higher. And he's made this remark of like, I just hate repeating myself. And I said, that's fine. You need to find a different job then. Like you need to put some people in place that don't mind repeating themselves because you can't just say something once to a team of 60 people and expect everyone to pick it up like that. And so that kind of dovetails into the process that gets applied on top of this, which I'd imagine is is a lot has a lot to do with the coaching and recruitment and ongoing clarification and refinement of these things. So, um, yeah, let's talk about that last piece, the the coaching and recruitment side. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you want to get work off your plate as an agency owner, you do need the right people on your team to do the work. And occasionally, I'll hear pushback where people will say, "Well, I don't know, my team can't do it," and I would say, "Well." They can't do it or, or you don't trust them to do it. And if you don't trust them to do it, is that founded that you don't trust them? Like there are various problems or they could, it's a mindset adjustment for you in choosing to trust them. And part of that is building a ramp up plan, you know, not taking someone from director to CEO overnight. It's going to take several years. And if they expect to get there in six months from you know, so director, VP, COO, CEO or something, and they expect to be there in a matter of months, they're probably not going to be a good match for that role because their expectations are just too out of alignment with, with reality. But, you know, hiring and coaching, um, you know, you need to coach the team, uh, sharing feedback, ongoing feedback. I recommend the manager tools model, which is weekly one-on-one -on -one, O3 meetings with all of your direct reports, everyone that reports to you directly, meeting with them every week for 30 minutes, and the structure they use, they have a template for this in their management training and their book and website. It's 10, 10, 10, 10 minutes about whatever the employee wants to discuss, 10 minutes about what you as the manager want to discuss, and then 10 minutes about planning for the future. Things like professional development, long-term initiatives, long-term projects they're working on. And it's a really powerful framework. And if people are like, well, I, I can't afford to spend half an hour a month, uh, half an hour a week. Well, you know, that's heading off other interruptions. And also, if you can't spend half an hour, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. What does that say to your team about how much you care about them? You know, so it, it's it's worth it. So that that's, that's important. Um, you know, but as you grow, sometimes you may need to hire people externally. And, you know, it could be because you don't have a skill set in-house. It could be that maybe someone has potential, but they're not ready yet. Maybe, for instance, they're a match to be the operations manager, but not to be the COO. And so you need to hire externally. You know, hiring externally is tough. 
Um, you know, I am a fan of promotion from within whenever possible, but it's not always an option. Uh, and before you post that job, get clear on what you want. Maybe eight years ago, an agency owner in Australia reached out and he said, hey, I have a job posting uh, for a sales and marketing manager. Um, could I get your help? You know, would, could I hire you to share feedback on? I said, sure. Um, and I reviewed it and I said, this is a great job posting, but from what you've shared, this is not the job you should hire for right now. You know, he had some other things to fix first before he went into doing that uh, kind of thing. So, you know, make sure you're hiring the right role. This can be especially tempting to maybe hire the wrong person where you meet someone at an event or you get introduced or maybe a past colleague suddenly is looking for a new job and you're like, oh, you know, I enjoy working with them back in the day. And you're suddenly considering, oh, like, why don't we create a position for them? If your agency has 50 or 100 people, sure, you can create a position for someone. If you have 20 people or 10 people, you shouldn't just be creating random positions for people who show up or who reappear in your life. Unless you've defined the role, this is what the agency needs and what the agency needs next, and the person in front of you is the perfect match for that role. Right. You need to focus on the business needs, not the candidate needs, even if you're friends with them. Although if you're really close friends with them, I would probably advise you to not hire them. Also, if you are related to them, also even more so, probably don't hire them. But, you know, that, that could be its own separate episode. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, people won't magically know what to do. You need to share feedback. Um, you know, uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I, questions from, from that. Yeah. So I want to get really tactical because I think coaching is mm -hmm. really what closes the loop in my experience. And it's yeah. the vehicle by which two things get corrected because what I've found personally, and you can tell me if this is different than what you've seen with a lot of your other clients, but most problems mm -hmm. are the result of one of two things or both either the swim lane wasn't clearly defined or the goal wasn't clearly defined or, you know, it wasn't actually aligned. The way it was defined wasn't aligned to the intention that I had when I set it up. So like those yeah. things naturally are going to iterate and the chances that you're going to get them perfectly on the first try are not good. So that coaching conversation can be the opportunity for you as a manager to realize we need to keep working on how we talk about these things. Or yes. it's they're not executing in alignment with that or their interpretation of that thing is different than what is intended. And it's not because they're not trying to follow it, but they had a misunderstanding. They thought your priority was X when the priority was actually Y. And it's a nuance in the language or in something that you said in passing during a meeting that you dramatically underestimated the impact it would have on their psyche. Like those kinds of things, that coaching conversation is where the rubber meets the road and you can mm -hmm. iteratively course correct over time. So uh, I wanna dig into that. When you see something that's happening, that isn't aligned to what you expect. How do you mm -hmm. have that conversation tactically? And what if they're not coming to that conclusion on their own? I would start by assuming positive intent, right? Assume that they did their best with what they had and then ask questions. Uh, for instance, um, I got a, an edited video back recently and I noticed there was a typo in one of the captions, sort of a, you know, 
was an issue. And rather than saying, just go fix this, I would say, hey, everything else was good, but I noticed an issue with one of the captions and I shared a screenshot and I said, do, do you see what, you know, what I, what I mean? And immediately it was like, oh, yeah. And, and then they fixed it. But I've also set up a follow-up conversation to better understand the process they're doing on the editing. Because I think what I, I'm, I'm picking up, if it's like we look for patterns, there's something weird about the captioning process or the captioning tool that's leading to things that don't totally make sense. I need to know better how the process works so that I can give either a you know general feedback or process or policy to, to fix things, or if it's gonna be more of a one-off so that I know how the system works so that I can share more effective feedback. But again, I wasn't assuming like, how dare you ship it with a typo? Now, if I see the same typo over and over again, that, that's a problem. Uh, but look for improvement rather than instant perfection. That's such a great um, framework because I've noticed that in following that process, sometimes what you're doing is you're forcing them to think about these things that they actually candidly haven't thought a whole lot about. But it's in asking these questions that they kind of realize like, oh, shit, I don't really have a good answer for this. I'm kind of pulling it out of my ass during the meeting. And a lot of those issues will kind of course correct as you just ask questions around the expectations out loud. And it's this beautiful kind of management outcome where the expectations get aligned, they're coming to those conclusions on your own. And it's very much like you're creating the accountability from there. And so I love that that framework of like really approaching it from a place of curiosity, assuming positive intent and focusing on the process as opposed to the person. As leaders, it's up to us to ensure that the message gets through, right? It's not enough to say it. Your point earlier about like, oh, I keep saying it over and over again. Yeah, well, Beers repeating. Uh, Jack Welch, who I, I would not recommend him as a leadership role model in terms of his, you know, layoff focused approach. But, you know, he would mention that he in one of his autobiographies, uh, he would have one corporate initiative at a time at GE and he would repeat it over and over again. And then as he traveled the world and he would meet with employees at different locations, he would ask them, like, what's our current focus right now? And it would take like a couple of years before everyone knew what the focus was, even though it was one thing, corporate on down kind of deal, um, you know, sort of thing. I also would not discount the power of meetings. Meetings get a bad rap. Uh, I have a copy of a book from the 1970s on, you know, better guide to business meetings. And the first chapter is, should you even be having this meeting? But a lot can happen in a meeting where maybe someone mentions a concern or maybe even just how they share an answer makes you realize, oh, wait, there, there's some disconnect here. Let's figure it out. And this also can be a big challenge for agency owners as they go from the technician or craftsperson role to manager and then owner. You know, you've probably seen the, uh, the ribbon, I survived another meeting that should have been an email. Sure. I mean, that, that is true sometimes, but Sometimes you need the meeting. Also, I would say, if you're meeting with a client about a difficult topic, and maybe you know you're meeting and it, like their boss is joining, people make fun of you know the meeting before the meeting or the pre-meeting. If you're about to drop some really disruptive information, talk to your client, the direct contact first before you present it to their boss, 
you're going to get intel on what's going on. You can get some advice on how they might react. And you avoid embarrassing your day-to-day -day contact in front of their boss. We talk about work and competence. High competence is getting the deliverable done on time. Low warmth would be and embarrassing them in front of their boss because you didn't give them a heads up about what was going to happen. I, I and that's interesting. It's aligned to kind of this framework that we've got at Parakeeto around you know strategic stuff is where we want to invest that synchronous time or even in person time when we're getting together, and then execution is better suited for that kind of asynchronous remote. Uh, collaboration. And so that just as like a loose guiding principle for where we invest that synchronous time has been, I think, really good. Because yeah, highly strategic, hairy, kind of nuanced problem solving, it's really difficult to do um, just in plain text and asynchronously. Uh, and right. as well as those kind of high emotion, um, high stakes uh, situations with uh, teammates, stakeholders, you want to definitely invest that synchronous time in those places. So Carl, I know I've kept you longer than we agreed to. I appreciate you spending so much time here on this episode going deep, but I want to make sure I give everybody um, a place to go. You've got some exciting stuff coming up. You have some leadership training actually coming up soon yeah. that I want to make sure everybody yeah. knows about. And of course your book, which they should go grab. Yeah. So if you're looking for free advice, I've got hundreds of articles on my website, seikasandcompany.com along with my newsletter that more than one agency leader has called the only email they read every time, which is, you know, quite, quite something. Uh, so that's available free of charge at sakusandcompany.com. If you'd like to learn more about the book, you can go to worklessearnmorebook.com. You can get all of the Amazon links worldwide, including the new Audible edition. You can get a free chapter to check it out. You can get the free workbook that goes with the book to apply what you're learning and and things like that. That's at worklessearnmorebook.com. And you'd mentioned the leadership training. You know, uh, there's a lot that you have to figure out from your own experience, kind of on the job training or, you know, figure it out as you go. But you also don't have to sort out everything about being a leader or manager from scratch. I recommend the Manager Tools Effective Manager Training uh, at manager-tools.com. It's a great intro training, but if you have team members who uh, either it's you as an owner or a C-level team member who could use additional support, might benefit from my upcoming agency leadership intensive. That's in March and April of 2024. But if you apply now, uh, depending when you're listening to this, uh, the sooner you apply, the lower the ticket price. Uh, and that's for agency owners or executives you need to have at least five people total at your agency, including owners, employees, and key contractors. Because it's, it's hard to delegate if you don't have at least five people total, uh, things like that. Um, so you can learn more about that, the agency leadership intensive at sakeasacompany.com. Okay, excellent. So we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Just scroll down wherever you're listening to this and check it out. I highly recommend you go grab a copy of the book and consume that. And Carl, uh, thank you again so much for coming back to the show, for sharing all of this with us. Always great chatting with you. And uh, we really enjoyed the episode. Absolutely. Marcel, thank you. And good luck, everyone. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. 
Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.